Welcome to the Inside Scoop Live podcast, where indie authors get personal about their books, their writing, and their passions. I'm your host, Sherry Hoyt. Join me for some lively conversations with debut indie authors and seasoned veterans alike. It's a great place to find your next amazing read or even get inspired. So sit back and enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Hi, everyone. Today, my guest is Marilyn Wood, author of Exit to Morvena, a sci-fi romance in which a charming alien invites protagonist Samantha to the utopian planet of Morvena, where people enjoy such long lifespans they are practically immortal. Sounds like nirvana, but there is a catch. Samantha must leave Earth and everything she knows behind forever. Before we get started, here's the inside scoop on Marilyn Wood. Books have been a part of Marilyn Wood's world for as long as she can remember. She was influenced by her maternal grandmother, a teacher, who exposed her to reading and writing at an early age. Marilyn wrote her first story in first grade and caught the literary bug, though it would be many years later for her dream to become an author was realized. What started as a book about the socioeconomic problems on our planet took a turn to sci-fi when a UFO experience caused her to wonder about beings from another planet and how they would regard us and the way we treat one another. During the creation of her debut novel, Exit to Morvena, Wood realized her deepest wish was for our planet to achieve utopia, claiming victory over all the upheavals we've been through. Marilyn believes we all have the potential to succeed, but it's up to us to choose the right path. Marilyn Wood resides in the beautiful Okanagan Valley in the Canadian province of British Columbia, where she is currently working on her second novel. To learn more about Marilyn and her work, visit her website, at www.morvena.ca. Well, hi, Marilyn. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Hello, Sherry. Thanks for joining us today. To get us started, tell us a little bit about your writing journey. You know, how long have you been writing? Have you always wanted to be an author? And what made you decide you were actually going to sit down and write a book? Well, I've been writing since I was six years old. My maternal grandmother was a teacher And she used to babysit me and she started me to learn reading when I was very little. I think I must have been about two because I was reading fluently by the age of four. I cannot remember when I couldn't read. I've always loved books. And as soon as they got me into school in grade one, when I was six, they put a pen in my hand and showed me how to form letters. And I wrote my first story. I've just been going ever since. I've written all kinds of things over the years to do with my job. I did ad copy and things of that nature. I've written articles for the paper from time to time when something controversial comes up (laughs) and I want to make a comment. I hadn't really thought about writing a book while I was working because I was so busy. When I first got married, um, I was going to college. I was working. And my then husband, who was a teacher, got all the good holidays. Mm. So we had an RV and we traveled all over North America for three months every year for the 18 years we were married. Wow. And then I went through divorce and found myself having to work seriously, not just pick up part-time jobs, but actually have to make a living. And I went back to college and this time I started studying computers during that time, mom and dad were helping me out a bit. And then dad started having strokes. So I was looking after them. I was working. I was going to night school, taking computer courses. 
there really wasn't a heck of a lot of time to just sit down and write. Right, right. But I started to get an idea for a book one day. You know, when you're married, you're kind of protected. You don't realize what it's like out there for single women. And it's even worse for the ones who have kids. Mm. You know, the way employers treat them, the way society treats them, takes advantage of them mm -hmm. because they know the person needs their job. And I was shocked at, you know, that kind of treatment. And I started writing a book which is basically about our socioeconomic problems. But I thought this is going to be a rather dull and depressing book <laughs> because it's just going to be about women's working life, how they're treated. It's going to sound like one long complaint. And I thought, you know, that's not going to work. And as it happened, I had moved back to the area where I grew up in the north of the Okanagan Valley, but work out here was not always that reliable. And I got a good job in the town I'd been living in when I was married, but I had to commute an hour and a half every day. Oh my goodness. And as I was driving back and forth, I remembered that at one of the smaller lakes called Duck Lake, I'd had a UFO sighting. And I was listening to the radio and other people were seeing it too. So I pulled the car over, looked out the window and watched it for a while. And then I thought, well, that's, you know, that's very interesting. But UFO sightings are very common mm. through here. We're in a UFO corridor. And people see them all the time. So I didn't think too much of it. I came home and here I am about nine years later, driving back and forth and commuting to this other town. And I began to remember this UFO sighting. And I started to think, I wonder what... People from another planet would think about us oh. and the way we treat each other and, you know, the, the terrible things people go through on this planet. And it's such a beautiful planet that people mess it up. And I started to think in this vein, of what would a person do if they came here? What would they think? What would they say? And that was the beginning of the book. Oh, wow. So what is Exit to Morvana about? This is about my protagonist who's... A woman approaching middle age, she's not young anymore, but she's still quite an attractive woman. But she's been through a lot. And the job situation she's in is horrible. And she gets hit on by people, you know, some of these awful bosses. And her whole life is kind of a mess and she's getting really depressed over it. But she has always been interested in things about outer space and UFOs and things like that. And she reads a lot about it. Mm. And she was interested in astronomy too. And she's in a metaphysical bookstore one day and she meets this unusual person. And he seems to know everything about her. And she knows nothing about him. Mm -hmm. And this makes her very uneasy. But he eventually talks her into joining his musical group because she is very musical. And they start a friendship which turns into a romantic relationship. But there's always something about this guy that doesn't seem quite right. Mm. And she's always a little uneasy. And then, of course, I won't tell the whole story because it'll spoil the book. But yeah. eventually, she finds out that he is not from here. He's from another planet. And they act kind of like missionaries. They come here to try and help us. They stay for long periods of time. They can pass for us. Even though they're not, they have some 
physical differences, but people don't really notice because they live pretty normal lives. He's mm-hmm. like, a mus- like a music teacher and, you know, very quiet. So eventually he persuades her that they've known each other in past lives, that there is such a thing as reincarnation, that it happens throughout all the planets, that people spend lives with one another, that his planet has been through everything we have and overcome it. Mm. And that he would like her to return with him because his time working here is up. And he leaves it up to her to decide if she wants to go. And of course, the thing is, she's romantically now involved with him. So that is the thing that draws her more than anything. Although she's kind of scared about going somewhere (laughs) like that, not knowing what the heck she's going to see. And so they do go there on a long voyage first and then eventually there. And they take thousands of other people with them. Oh, wow. Because they realize something drastic is going to happen down here. And they want to make sure they have a good population of our people to help put the planet back when the wars are over. Because they say it's going to be something really dreadful. And they say they've done this in the past. They, she time travels with him back to Atlantis. He also tells her about Lemuria, which was another civilization that they're now finding evidence for. Mm -hmm. It's like we've had these stages on our planet where we have reached a very high point of success technologically, but somehow. This makes us immoral, it makes us more violent, and somehow we don't live up to the technology and the power that we have. It seems to overtake us and we destroy ourselves. Mm -hmm. And he tells her this has happened many times on this planet. So that is the gist of it and why she goes. Uh, When she gets there, of course, it's this incredible place. They've done away with money, there's no money. Everybody lives an upper class, you know, upper middle class life. There's more than enough resources for it. Food production is their number one thing. Everybody on the planet is tested from the time they're little to find out what they're good at. That's what they do for the rest of their lives. And they contribute that to the planet and entertainment is just as important as food production because it feeds people mentally and emotionally. They've done away with all these religions which don't have the message right. Mm. And people are deeply spiritual instead. Mm -hmm. And everybody is loved and respected. Life is precious. It it sounds like um, utopia. Yeah. (laughs) It does. Now, they've done away with warfare as well. They have no weapons. They quit making them. So what they developed were energy bands around the planet that deflect everything. Everything from asteroids to somebody who might try and attack them. And so they cannot break through this barrier. And it's only opened once in the blue moon when a group of people have been missionaries on another planet come back. Mm. Wow, And so this is all kept sealed in. Once you're on the planet, there are no cars as we know them. There are no roadways because roads destroy the soil and the property. 
So what they have instead is a method of implants, that they implant into your hands and feet. And you can fly. You can actually fly under your own steam. You have special <laughs> insoles in your shoes. And if there's any inclement weather, they put another series of energy bands over the city so that the fields and all the places where they grow food can get the moisture that they need. But nobody else is bothered about it on, wow. in the city. Yeah. It sounds like your first idea for a book and your UFO sighting, it's kind of all wrapped into this story, Exit to Morvana. Is that Yes. Right? They kind of crashed into each other. <laughs> <laughs> Was that your inspiration for writing it, the story? It is, but it also goes back to my father. I had an incredible dad. I miss him every day. You know, I'm in my 70s now, and uh, dad passed when he was in his 80s. And he mm -hmm. was always flying airplanes, but he was in the Air Force during World War II. Mm. And he did take pilot's training, but they decided because he had all this pioneer background and knew how to fix any kind of machinery, that they would send him to airplane mechanics school. And throughout the six years he was in the force, what they did was keep the planes flying. He said they'd come back shot full of holes and they'd have to repair these planes to keep them going. Mm -hmm. But the men would come back from a mission. They'd come and see my dad. And he had these stacks of hardcover textbooks on mechanics for airplanes, but he had one. It was all about the silhouettes of all the known airplanes, both the allies and the enemies and they would come back and they would tell them about these things they were seeing flying around during the battle and they became known eventually as foo fighters mm. and dad said they, they couldn't find anything in his silhouette books to even remotely look like it so they would draw pictures for him and ask dad you know what happened to those pictures and he said, well, it was wartime. You don't talk about these things. We turned them over to our commanding officer, and we never saw them again. Mm. Sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> about people who have tried to talk about these things, abductions, so on. Right. And they get ridiculed or pushed aside. Or if they are in the armed forces or an airplane pilot, they can get kicked out. Um, it's just the way a lot of things have happened for some very honest people who did have experiences, but they're being told they didn't, which oh. I think is dangerous for our society. But, you know, that's something that's been going on for quite a long time. Yeah, it's kind of like rewriting history to, to suit our yeah. current needs. Yeah. And then Dad and I got hold of the Eric von Daniken books. And this is where the chariots of the gods and all this things saying that, well, we've been visited for thousands of years by ancient aliens. It's not new. Mm -hmm. It's on all the walls in Egypt. And uh, First Nations people, or I think you say Native American, where you're from, they talk about these things all the time. And so my interest then became very, very deeply piqued mm -hmm. in this. And as I was traveling in the States, because I was also interested in archaeology and anthropology, I got a chance to stay at Mesa Verde in Colorado. Have you ever been there? Oh, yes. I oh, love it. 
And that's when I realized that there was a real connection between the past and the future. Mm -hmm. So that has always been kind of underlying. And while I was at another one of these Pueblo sites, I had a sighting one night. I was sitting up in the front of the RV listening to the radio. And suddenly, from out of the left, this vehicle, which looked like it was pulsating, came and stopped about 30 feet above the ground and about maybe 20 feet away from me. Oh, my goodness. And then it went up and it went across and then went down and it went up. All the time it was changing color, like red, orange, blue, green. And then it just went and it was gone. Hmm. And I'm sitting there going, what did I see? Right. <laughs> did I see that? <laughs> this is the frustration, I think, that a lot of people have. They see things so they don't report it. Mm -hmm. I've never reported any of mine because what can I prove? You know, to just think I'm a nut job running around, <laughs> running around seeing aliens and maybe I should be locked up. But all this thing has been in the back of my mind. And then I had that sighting again in our own territory. And so that is really probably the underlying inspiration. It's probably been back in my subconscious for a long time. Yeah. And that is really what came out with this book. This is a series. Okay, I was going to ask you. Um, so this is the first one then? Yes. Well, at 560 pages, I thought maybe I better stop <laughs> and call this one a book. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a good idea. <laughs> when I ordered a hard copy of it, this box came. And I didn't know what it was, and it was so heavy. <laughs> and I opened it up, and here's this huge paperback. Like, most paperbacks are these little things, you know? Yeah. This thing's enormous, and it's heavy. Wow. Uh, anyway, I've started book two. I have book three and four blocked out. And the first book really is to set the stage. And mm -hmm. most people who read it will read it as um, a romance novel. Yeah, it sounded like it had elements of romance and science fiction. And, and so that's quite a unique audience. I'm also a believer in gay rights, mm -hmm. even though I'm a straight old stick myself. <laughs> I do believe that gay people have just as much right as we do. I had a, a wonderful teacher in school. He was wonderful to all his students. And my mother and I visited him a few years ago. He has this beautiful home called the Arts and Crafts Home. Mm. And it was open to the public along with a whole bunch of other homes around here from the Victorian era. And then a few weeks later, we found out he committed suicide. And my mother and I were just shocked. Oh, no. Because he was so dapper looking. You know, he was in his 70s, but he looked like he was 50. And he was slim and active. And I don't know. It just was shocking. Mm -hmm. But then I thought about it. And I remember he used to go with a group of teachers from our school who were all unmarried. Every year, they'd go to France in the summer. Well, France is a much more liberal place, at mm -hmm. least it was at that time. And it began to dawn on me, because we all knew he was gay, even at school. We didn't. But we liked him so much, we didn't care. You know, it didn't matter. Right. And um, I realized all these other people that he used to go on holiday with, they're all gone. They've all passed away. And he was alone. Mm. 
And he would not come forward uh, about being gay. He would not open up, even though today now, you know, there's a lot of uh, openness. Yeah. And in Canada, we've had legalized marriage for gay people since 2004. So, you know, and our country hasn't fallen apart. So, right. You know, and <laughs> there are people who are going to disagree with me putting this in my book. Okay. <laughs> I realize that, but I'm an old lady now and I can say what I like. You can say what you want. That's right. <laughs> it's your and, book. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, in the book, it turns out that this alien being who's now married to Samantha, my protagonist, was raised by two uncles and two aunts. And when she's visiting them, the way one of them is behaving in particular, she can't see how it could possibly be married to one of the aunts. He's, he's really <laughs> like a big overgrown kid. <laughs> and then eventually she finds out they're actually two gay couples. They're not. Now, is this in your first book or is this to come? It's in my first book. Okay. And they okay. will be a part because they are a family. Mm-hmm. It turned out that this alien's parents were on a mission on another planet and they were murdered. He was left to starve, mm. but he was rescued, was traumatized. And these aunts and uncles took time out of their lives to raise him because he was in such a bad way. Yeah. And so they're his family. And he also has a grandfather who to us would look African-American. So I'm dancing on a few knife edges here. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So I don't know what people are going to think if they get that far into the book. With 560 pages, some people might give up. <laughs> I just don't know at this point. But I thought, you know, I'm going to make Uncle Zove, as I call him who's a model for this teacher I have, I'm going to make him have the life he should have had. Oh, how nice. I know you said you've mapped out the next few books, but did this one kind of write itself or did you have some idea where it was going? Or I never really know where I'm going when mm. I sit down to write. <laughs> it's, it's a journey for me too, and it's all new and exciting. Yeah. Because as we get through the book... And everything's beautiful and everybody's got a wonderful life. Enter the villains. Mm. I have got two really nasty villains and a third one who is a gray alien. So, you know, I just had to do that. I couldn't. Well, yeah, you got to have villains. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you had a lot of fun writing it. Oh, I do. I have my little friends running around in my brain. You know, a lot of writers do because... Mm -hmm. We managed to keep our own personality and live in the real world and do what we have to do. But inside our head, we're on all kinds of different planets and we're going different places and we're meeting a lot of strange people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was the most surprising thing you learned either about yourself or about the writing process while you were writing? I think that what surprises me is I never have writer's block. Oh, wow. Like I hear people complain about that. Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe I write down 5% of what I'm thinking. Oh, wow. I would never get it all down, ever. Like, this is not the only thing I write. I'm not just a science fiction writer. I have a children's story that I would like to get out. But I'm concentrating on this first. But that is something I think would be nice for really small children 
at Christmas time. Here in our local area, they had a contest, a writing contest. And when I was contemplating whether I should finish my book, this is just after I'd retired, I thought, okay, I'll enter the contest. It's kind of like tossing a coin. And I thought, if I win the contest, I'll continue the book. If I don't, maybe my writing isn't all that valuable. You know, people maybe don't think it's that great. So they had me write a nonfiction story. And it had to be about a character, someone around this area of Pioneer that I knew or that my family knew. And I had someone like that. I wrote about them and I won the contest. So then I had to finish the book. Surprise, <laughs> you're a writer. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, you know, for me, this knowledge that, you know, somebody would actually pay me. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's the biggest surprise of all, if we're going to have surprises here. But I do not suffer from writer's block, certainly. I'm also thinking of starting uh, Julie's Diary. Julie's my little dog. And she has her point of view about life here on this planet. Oh. So I'm kind of thinking of starting a little blog on my website called Julie's Diary. Yeah. I've written a few things about that. <laughs> yeah. And then you said you, you have a children's book as well. The, are yes. you, so are you an artist? No. I would have to get someone to illustrate it. Yeah. I also have a, a rather funny poem that I wrote. And that would also be good for a children's book. Mm. And, and it would also need someone to uh, illustrate it for me. Yeah. Is there anything that you wish you knew before you started all of this? I wish I knew how to publish a book before I started publishing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> However, I have sort of stomped my way through it. I've learned an awful lot. I've taken a lot of free webinars online. Mm. If any aspiring writer listens to this, I would really recommend that they do that because there's all kinds of free information out there. And they will help you. And also, it gives you an idea of what you need to spend. Because I feel like I probably overspent before mm. I knew what I was doing. Mm -hmm. It's a big learning curve. So I feel like a lot of people, especially with their first novel, it's a, it's a hard lesson to learn. Well, um, I figured I was going to get hammered because I knew nothing about it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, if you go into it with that attitude, and then you won't cry as much. And uh, you will continue. You won't give up. Yeah. I like your advice to aspiring authors, though, because there is so much free information out there. And there's a lot of information out there that you can pay for as well and, and not have to pay for a lot. That's right. I have a lot of kudos for authors that do it all themselves and take the time to learn. For you, it, it sounds like writing is the most fun part of the process. And I think that's true for most writers. Rarely have I heard someone say, well, I'm so glad I've got this book written. I can't wait to go out and market it now. You know, <laughs> nobody wants to market. And thank goodness, I have a lot of marketing training, because if I hadn't, I think I'd be really baffled at this point and really upset. Yeah. Now, do you ever do any book signings or things like that? Uh, well, I belong to the Monashi Arts Council here, and they do have these uh, certain functions they put on, and there are shopping malls and bookstores and all kinds of things 
but I don't feel that that's really where I want to seek out my audience mm. because it's limited. It's just my local area. And maybe if it was a self-help book, I might do that because you can sell a lot of books that way. Mm-hmm. But when it's something like this, I really want the international market. And recently, uh, because I belong to quite a few different groups that put on webinars, someone sent me a link to webinars that are held in Los Angeles. And these are people who are in touch with people who make books into movies. Oh, wow. Now, I've just been doing their webinars. I haven't been able to go to their conventions too expensive right now but i probably will want to eventually mm-hmm. i'm not saying that they're gonna make my book into a movie you know but there's a chance there it sounds like the right type of story that could be made into a movie or a mini series yeah like, like I, that. yeah i write a lot of dialogue which a lot of people do not because of the punctuation and everything a lot of people are frightened of it and they mm-hmm. don't write it But because I'm an old baby boomer, we were taught English literature and English language in school. And then when I went to college, I majored in English literature and language and creative writing. So, you know, I can do that kind of writing. Yeah. So for anything that would be a movie, they could just lift the dialogue out of the book and maybe shorten it or you know, trim it down a bit or whatever. But the dialogue is already there. That's exciting. So you mentioned a little bit earlier, you've started on the second book. Do you have a plan for that? Like a a publishing plan yet? Or are you still just in the writing stage? I'm just putting things together. But it's going to be darker, Mm. much darker than the first book. I like it. It's going to be very interesting. I don't like to give away too much when I'm writing something, but it will not be as pretty as the first book. The first book is all about her being rescued from her awful life, going to a place that's like heaven with this gorgeous man and finding she fits into his family very well, finding that there's all sorts of things that she can learn and do on the planet and have just a fantastic life. And then she gets kidnapped Mm. by the villains. (laughs) Enter the villains. Okay, that sounds exciting. And we look forward to book two soon. Uh, Is there anything else you wanted to add today, Marilyn? Well, I would like to say to aspiring authors not to give up. There are lots of people who have half a book sitting in a drawer somewhere. And every person in the art world, in my view, is welcome. Because everybody brings something different, something that's a part of them. When I was at one of these webinars from L.A., they had all these different people read an excerpt from their book. Every book was different. Mm -hmm. Every point of view was different. Every subject was different. It was just fascinating to sit and listen to. Mm -hmm. So anyone who can write has something to give. That's why you're here on this planet. You came here to give something back. And you do that through your writing. So please don't give up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Marilyn, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure learning more about you and your work. Well, thank you so much, Sherry. I appreciate you getting the word out about my book. 
Thank you for joining me today for my interview with Marilyn Wood, author of Exit to Morvena. To learn more about Marilyn and her work, visit her website at www.morvena.ca. And be sure to check out our other interviews at InsideScoopLive.com.